Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, host of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, and we have two special guests on today's program. Up first, David Madrin, the North Carolina Courage Academy Director. For us, striving to be the best we can be, we have one of our non-negotiable behaviors. We say courage, a bit of a cliche, but essentially on the coaching side is be brave and be forward thinking. Try to think of what the game would look like in 10 years and how can we get players to develop in a way that we're thinking outside the box and not just settling for what maybe has happened in the past or feel comfortable, but striving to be the best we can be. Try to do the best job possible on a daily basis. And GSA's ECNL Director, Campbell Chapman. It means fun that we're going to have kids who are excited to play. Their excitement, of course, is what drives us. As a coach, you know, you thrive off the energy of your players. And for me, the ECNL is always going to be fun. David Madrin and Campbell Chapman on this week's edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And it starts after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country. With a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. You know, I'm not afraid to wear my direct bias on my face, and that is for the North Carolina Courage and North Carolina FC. And we're with the Academy Director for the North Carolina Courage, David Madrid, as part of our evergreen material here at the 7th Annual ECNL Coaching Symposium. David Madrid, great to have you on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's get to know you a little bit, and then I want to dive into kind of what you're getting out of the ECNL particularly. But do me a favor. Don't be shy. Tell me your story. When did you come over to the United States? Maybe you've been here longer than I know, but did you go to college here, and how did you catch on to the North Carolina Couriers? Don't leave anything out. Can you okay. do that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, grew up playing soccer from a soccer family. My dad actually played professionally for my hometown club Middlesbrough and managed them so was around soccer my whole life and then when I turned 18 had an opportunity to come to America and play on a sports uh, soccer scholarship over here I played at the University of Mobile down in Alabama so a little bit of a culture change for me coming from England played four years there and then ended up doing my graduate assistant at Mississippi College so that's where I kind of started to learn the ropes of the coaching piece and got a lot of passion towards that and loved it and kind of took off from there and when I finished my master's degree at Mississippi College was looking for the next step and we had some connections and links to what used to be Castle, uh, now NCFC and NC Courage. Went there, started working full-time uh, with some lower level teams and have just continued to try and work my way up through the ranks at NCFC and and the Courage area and Sean Nehas gave me my, an opportunity to, to come onto the girls side as the assistant academy director with those guys when they first started the Courage program eight years ago and then kind of just kept going from there so that's kind of been my I guess my, my quick journey into where I am now obviously Sean is now with the first team and an opportunity came up for me to take over the program and and, and run from there and um, I've been with the NC Courage academy with as the director for the last two and a half years now been loving it been enjoying it and i'm just trying to continue to to do the best we can with with that program so yeah absolutely brilliant and i feel like the name carries a ton of weight you know nationwide actually because you know they won those championships and now even under sean he's won two of the challenge cups but i do want to go back to a couple of those steps so i am always curious how these players like you that come over from england Mobile, Alabama, like how does that happen exactly? 
I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it was, uh, I was looking for, you know, something to do. And I was, I was potentially going to go to university in England and was looking at the United States options. And there was an option. I was only really 17 at the time. And I was looking to go the year later when I was 19. And it sounds kind of funny, but I was sat in my bedroom playing Xbox and my phone rang. And it was Peter Fuller from the University of Mobile. And he's, he said, look, we've got a guy drop out of the clearinghouse. We really need a centre back yesterday. Do you want to come now? And I'm like, hold a second. Put the phone down. Mom, a guy wants me to come right now to America. What do you think? She's like, do you want to do it? I was like, OK, I'll give it a go. I was like, yeah, when do I, how do I get there? And it just kind of was just off the cuff. And just decided to do it and never looked back. So it was... And yeah. they arranged that. And, and remind me, is that Division One, Two, Three? What is that? So that was at NIA, NIA. NAIA. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, there's some good soccer in the NAIA. It was great. Yeah, it was yeah. great. There was, I mean, when I first got there, the captain of our team was a 34-year-old Kenyan international. Who, no! Who played in um, World Cups. And no! Just, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. I was, okay, okay, great. Um, it was just, yeah, players and people from all corners of the earth um, uh, gathered in Mobile, Alabama, playing soccer for their university program. It was great. And so when does it hit you, and it was great that you mentioned your dad's history, which is prominent, but when did it hit you that you wanted to be a coach? Well, obviously when you were, you, you were playing, your dream was always to try and play for as long as possible. And in my um, senior year, I got injured. So when I was injured and rehabbing, I, I started doing the grad assistant stuff okay. and realized that I enjoyed that. Maybe not as much as playing at the time, but really kind of took off and had a, had a passion for it. And essentially, it's all I've ever known is, is soccer and football. So really, as, as the experience of coaching that college program kind of continued to progress, just realized that I, I love this. This is great. I kind of want to do this as my, as my job. And then just kind of try to learn and gather as much information as I could throughout the years and try and become the best I possibly could be. And that was it. So, yeah, just... Loved it. So, so little known fact. So I got married in Chapel Hill in 94. And as a soccer junkie who was the press officer of the U.S. Men's World Cup team in 94, I was always kind of looking around. I was also the press officer of the 91 women when Anson was there. So even when I would come into town pre-wedding, I would be able to hang out with Anson and kind of stick my nose around there a little bit, but uh, became the director of communications for MLS before joining the Colorado Rapids as their TV voice. And after three years, we had our first child and the original courage started. That was the WSA courage. Okay. So that was just castle. There was no North Carolina FC. So when you started, you started at castle. That's correct. Yeah. So who yeah. hired you? Gary Butte, who's the CEO of the of, of Castle at the time, had a connection with the club I was working with, a guy down there called Kenny White. And I went to Kenny, I was like, look, I kind of want to broaden my horizons. Um, I want to kind of, you know, get away from this area and just look into kind of progress. And he's like, I think I've got a guy that might be able to help. Yeah. Um, he put me on to Paul Forster, who's the director of soccer at Castle. Yeah. Went for an interview and just kind of went from there. Yeah, offered me a job to coached three teams full-time and just said, let's see how you progress and uh, just tried to work as hard as I could and kept progressing through and getting more responsibilities. And then here I am today. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was great. So Gary was my connection to, to Castle originally. Okay. Um, and then Paul was obviously the guy that hired me. So. All right, well, that makes sense then because Gary's got those ties to Louisiana. So that makes sense. I'd yep. I think my geography is not too bad where Alabama and Mississippi are kind of around yep. Louisiana, right? So he would know that. I know Kenny White as well. I feel like mm -hmm. he's been different places too, right? Has he always been in the South or has he been other places as well? Do you know? I think I think he – I don't want to speak. I don't know. So yeah. uh, I know I know they've, they've got experience, I think we'll say that. So. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So when you're rolling in, there is no North Carolina Courage at the time, is there? Nope. Okay, no, just Castle. And I originally came in and I was coaching on the boys' side. Okay. They were looking for coaches to come on the girls' side and, and try and help out a little bit. Um, and Casey White actually was the one that first said, do you want to come coach some female uh, soccer? I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. So started doing some of that. And then the year after that, once I'd um, been helping with Casey with some of the, the girls, girls' teams at Castle, was when the girls' academy came about, and they created the NC Courage. The first team was created. Okay. Sean took all of that over, and then he said, hey, do you, do you want to come be my assistant with the, the academy? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's. It was kind of a, a fresh slate, and let's create something that is new and different and maybe hasn't been done before, and let's make this as good as we possibly can, and I'd like you to come help. And uh, it, was, it was exciting, and we kind of rolled with that, yeah. 
Okay, so then does that mean that at one time Sean was the academy director for the North Carolina Courage? That was his title, and you just— He was, yep. Okay, and then yep. when he decided to go full-time, were you the next guy in? Yep, yep. Okay. So when, yeah, when he got the first team job, um, very difficult to do both. So he stepped away from the academy side, and there was an opportunity there for me to, to put my name forward and, and, and continue on the work that, that we'd already done. So, yeah. You know, I think, you know, obviously it had nothing to do with Sean at all, but there were some turbulent times at the NWSL level, particularly with the Curries. We got through that, and Sean really kind of spearheaded that to win two Challenge Cups kind of with that dark cloud and come out on the other side. I feel like even Sean is like a different person now. Like when I talk to him, I, I love where he is right now mentally, you know, and, and how he's embracing this job and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, I particularly love when he looks in the camera and says, hey, we need all of you to come support this team. You feel that, right? I mean, you're coaching these kids, but it's important for them to be out there seeing that top-level team, right, and, and those top-level players. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a great connection. It's a great visual for all of our youth players to see, okay, you know, similar to when I was a kid, is I, I want to go play for Middlesbrough Football Club. That's where I want to be. There's a visual... Um, you know, representation in our in our club of going, okay, there's our pro players, that's our pro team. I want to be there one day. Um, and we've been fortunate enough to get players um, into train with the first team too. And conversations with those guys is great and say, you know, what do you think? What do you see? And it's like, I want to be a, I want to be a professional soccer player. And for kids to see that um, and see that end goal and see that it's attainable um, is really, really powerful for our players. Yeah. We're visiting with David Madrin, who heads up the North Carolina Courage Academy program, particularly on the ECNL level. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more of the North Carolina Courage's David Madrin after this message. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. We're here with the Academy Director of the North Carolina Courage, who is at the 7th Annual ECNL Coaching Symposium and AGM in Las Vegas, David Madrin. And David, really enjoying this conversation. You know, one of the things they talk about is the pathway. And, you know, we are seeing some youngsters go straight to pro, but uh, I, I kind of would like to see some of the players, you know, at least get a few years in college, if not four years, because I still think college soccer on the girls' side, it's a little different on the boys' side, but on the girls' side is truly the best pathway to the pro and international level. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I think every player, I don't think there's a certain pathway for any individual. So, you know, a pathway for player A might be completely different for player B. So I don't think there's one set way of doing it. I think there's multiple ways that, you know, like we're seeing now, you're seeing younger players go in, and essentially if you're good enough, you're... Um, you're old enough, so you know those players that earn those opportunities is great for them. Ultimately, our goal is: can we do a good enough job to to develop players to be ready to make that step if it's needed? And if it's if they can make that step through our academy straight into professional, fantastic. If they can't, and college is the avenue, or or somewhere else is the avenue, then we just want to make sure we set them up so they can deal with whatever that next step is once they graduate out of our program. So, like I said, multiple multiple ways that kids can do it, and essentially every kid's journey is different. But our job is to support them and make sure they're ready. Delighted to have David Madrid on, the academy director for the North Carolina Courage. And I like the fact that you mentioned that you also coach the boys. But in your own words, what makes it uh, for you more enjoyable to coach women? I don't think there was actually that many differences. The players, the players that we coach in our program, super motivated, passionate, driven, um, want to get better, um, love the game, uh, extremely coachable. All of these things are just a joy, a joy to, to be around and be around those, those players on a daily basis is, is great. So um, there are differences a little bit, but, you know, we try and treat them, treat them the same and... Um, and, you know, to have kids with this much passion and drive with, like I mentioned earlier, a, a clear goal of kind of where they want to be and what they want to get out of the game. It makes our job really easy on a day to day basis because, you know, they give us energy and 
we turn up to training and it might be even a day where you know we're struggling we're having a bad day and you finish a training session and you've got bundles of energy because the kids bring that on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis so um yeah it's um a, a, an absolute delight we're very very lucky lucky and fortunate to work with the kids that we have um because of i guess the drive that they have and and um the professionalism and um the enjoyment they have for the game so it's it's just it's, it's great i think it's um, very similar in my eyes um, maybe other people might say differently but this one will make you think a little bit deeper but uh, it probably will mean you'll have more than one and you don't have to worry about the order but when you think about your time first with castle now with the north carolina courage all under the ncfc youth umbrella what are one two or three of your greatest memories during your time with the north carolina courage slash castle slash the academy people ask me that i was actually recently kind of um we asked the question we were doing kind of some coaching education stuff within our club and it was kind of um, relationship based and they were talking about what's your why? why why do you coach it was actually quite a difficult question to answer without being very generic um, but then when you look back at all the things that you know stand out it's not necessarily you know games that we've won or titles or championships or even players going professional into college but essentially just kind of the connection that you get with the teams that you coach connection that you get with the players that you coach watching the kids grow from if it be in our u11 to watching them graduate out of our program into u19s and moving on and seeing that the potential impact we might have had with those guys is is just so much fun so in terms of standouts it's kind of more the day-to-day -day grind and the day-to-day -day relationships of what you get out of your experiences with the players that we get fortunate enough to coach and be around um, so I think that's the main standout for me. It's just the enjoyment that you get from, from coaching and, and having a, a potential impact on people. Yeah, David, you may have said the names already, but as you reflect on where you are, particularly now sitting as the academy director of the North Carolina Courage program, who are some names that have made a difference in your life that kind of paved the way? We call them mentors even. Do you have a couple that uh, made a big difference in your life? Um, yeah, for sure. I know at an early age, my father definitely was one. Very, um, I wouldn't say old school maybe, but the mentality of be the first one there, the last one to leave. And essentially, you know, telling me how, how difficult it's going to be to either, you know, be, be good at something. So whether it's a professional footballer or a coach, you've got to put the work in, you've got to put the time, you've got to be open-minded, you've got to be willing to, to work at something to be good at it. So definitely an early age, my father. And then, you know, once I've come into the stateside, uh, working with Paul um, Forster at, at Courage, he's been there, he's done that. He's, there's not many things that in terms of whether it be um, conflict management or just asking a question to somebody to say, hey, look, I need some help with something, um, always gives great advice and, and has got bundles of experience that, that helps. Extremely thankful for Sean for bringing me onto the girls' side and giving me an opportunity to coach um, within the girls' academy and, and the ECNL programs at the time because I guess without him, I wouldn't be here today. So that's one. And then... Um, one that is kind of random and I always kind of it's it's one of those ones I may not call him you know for a year or two years but when I call him he's always there to answer and will provide great insight um, I met a guy called Gary Lewis he used to work for Liverpool Academy came over to America uh, and I met him on my uh, B license and just got a great connection with him asked him stories asked him life advice and he's always there to help um, and he currently now is with um, Chicago um, in the MLS as their academy director and um, is always there to give great, great advice and help whenever I need it. And like I said, it, it might be two years and I haven't spoken to him and I say, hey, have you got time for a quick chat? And he's always got time. And I think those are the guys in terms of you said mentors that are the, are the best ones that doesn't matter if you haven't spoken to him in a while. They're always on the other side of a phone call just to give you some help. David Madrin, the Academy Director for the North Carolina Courage. Just a couple more questions. I love the fact that you brought up my broadcast partner for North Carolina FC Games and Andrew Tate. Another one of my broadcast partners for including the National Selection Games and some North Carolina Courage Games is Casey White, who you said you worked with as well. And I like the fact that Casey was with me when Paul Forster's daughter played in the National Selection Game just recently down in Sarasota. So how about you? Do you have a wife and family? And can you drop their names in here? I do. My wife, Lindley, at home right now looking after my two children, um, four years old and two years old, two boys, crazy uh, handfuls. Um, and 
uh, uh, I took actually. We went we went back to um, back to England for Christmas, and I took my four-year-old to his first Middlesbrough football game, You're right. and uh, it was great just to see his face as he walked into the stadium and and saw the atmosphere. So, yeah, um, got a family, two kids, um, a wife at home, and um, a dog that's actually just torn her ACL. So we've got, we've got to get her mended and on the move. But um, yeah, uh, lived to your point. You mentioned Andy Tate, um, four houses down from Andy. So that's small world and lots of connections within the game and outside the game. Just so I can keep an eye, hopefully they'll still let me do this 10 years down the road when your two boys are playing for John Bradford in North Carolina <laughs> FC. What are their names? Reese Madron and uh, Robson Madron. Named and after, yeah, named after Bobby Robson, there who uh, was one of the famous managers in England. So, Absolutely. Yeah. One of the top man over there. <laughs> awesome. Yep. All right. A couple just kind of rapid fire questions. Um, first off, when you hear these four letters, E, C, and L, what do they mean to you? Competition. Challenging games, an environment for our players to express themselves and be challenged on a daily basis and, and putting our kids in uncomfortable positions, whether it be the challenge of the, the team that we're playing on the weekend or the environment at a ECNL national event um, in front of college coaches or playoff events. Opportunities and an environment for our kids to, to learn and get lots of different learning opportunities. And when you hear these words, NCFC Youth slash North Carolina Courage Academy, what does that mean to you? For us, I would say striving to be the best we can be. We have one of our non-negotiables uh, behaviors. We, we say courage, um, a bit of a cliche, but essentially on the coaching side is be brave and be forward thinking. Try to think of what the game would look like in 10 years and how can we get players to to um, develop in a way that you know we're we're thinking outside the box and not just settling for what maybe has happened in the past or feel comfortable but always trying to striving to be the best we can be and try to try to do the best job possible on a daily basis yeah finally because you mentioned the word forward thinking and different from me asking what the four letters meant to you more importantly what does it mean to see what the ECNL does, particularly at like this event, the coaching symposium, the AGM, where they each year seem to get bigger and better than ever as far as trying to be there to help people like you? I love it. I, it's always one of those ones you come into it and you, you, know, you sit in your lectures, you sit in the um, educational opportunities, you hear all these guys speaking and every time you walk away from it on a Wednesday afternoon, you're feeling motivated, you've picked up a couple of things that you think, you know what, those are little things or little nuggets of information from all of the speakers that you go, we can try these little things or an adjustment of some of the things we pick up and put them into our environment on a daily basis. So to my point, always learning, always trying to think of how we can become a better program or better coaches to in turn help our players is always, always vital. So, you know, the lectures, and even the conversations that you might have with other directors of other clubs, just brainstorming and having a chat. I know um, we were actually on the sideline in December with a director of another a team in our um, in our conference, and they said, are you going to the symposium? I said, yeah, and can we sit down, let's have a chat, and let's talk about kind of what you do, what we do. I'd love to kind of talk more about the game, and all of those little conversations are great because it just makes us all better. So. I will end with this. You don't know this, but after three years as the voice of the Colorado Rapids, my wife, who grew up in Brazil, we had our first son who was born in Colorado, but my wife did not dig the snow. Her family retired to Chapel Hill, and so I had this great gig. I'm the TV voice of the Colorado Rapids, and she's like, I can't deal with the snow. we got to go home, and it's the same time that the then WSA is starting, so I became the first ever voice of the Carolina Courage, and for years now, we took a little break there, but for years now, I've been hollering, you know, how about the North Carolina Courage? I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard that. Yeah. I do that the course, same yeah. with uh, with North Carolina FC, and, um, you know, look, when, when I get to say that, I know that I am lucky I have the best seat in the house to I I think get to see one of the best youth to pro systems now in the country do you feel like that we're as part of one of the best youth to pro systems in the country right now with what we're doing we're trying our best yeah I, I don't know whether we're I'm in a position to say we are the best we've, we've just got to do the best job we possibly can and 
maybe when a kid in five years down the line turns around and they're hopefully playing at the highest level they possibly can, they could turn around and say, you know what, th those guys have really had a positive impact on me. But I'd like to hope so, but I'm not sure whether I'm in a position to say we are or we aren't. We've just got to keep doing the best we can on a daily basis and believe in what we do. And I think we've got a great environment, a great structure from 11s all the way through to first team with 23s that play in the summer and um, extra opportunities for our players. And I think our players are in a great position. Um, we're really excited of where we are. We'll hopefully take it day by day and, and see what we can do. And in hopefully 10 years time, five years time, next year, we have kids turn around and say that program, that environment gave me a really great experience and I'm very grateful for it. Good answer. We should be done, but because we talked about Casey White and Andrew Tate, this is the last question I promise. Late in the season, we found Kendall Fletcher White and we threw her in the booth. And man, she was good too. <laughs> Did you know that, by the way? Yeah, Kendall actually um, last year worked with our U11 pre-academy kids. And it was her first kind of, my first experience with Kendall. And she taught us a good game, loads of experience, a great person and mentor that we have in our club, for sure. So yeah, who knows? Watch this space. Uh, Andy and uh, Casey's job might not be that safe. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Andy will be fine, but because Casey lives in Florida, Kendall Fletcher White has a good opportunity with the local package. Uh, we were really impressed by her at the end, but it seems like it really does seem like the NCFC youth system has so many impressive people doing so many great things all over the place that makes it uh, a great place to be. This was long overdue, but uh, so glad that you could join us on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. David, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're not done on this week's edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. When we return, we'll visit with GSA's Campbell Chapman. That comes after this message from an ECNL sponsor. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, part of our coverage here of the 2024 ECNL Coaching Symposium and AGM in Las Vegas. Without question, the biggest and best ECNL Coaching Symposium and AGM, over 750 here representing all different parts of what makes the ECNL great. And that includes Campbell Chapman, who is the GSA ECNL director. And Campbell joins me now. Campbell, welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks, Dean. Pleasure to be here. Yep. And just so we get it right, explain exactly what GSA stands for. GSA is Gwinnett Soccer Academy. We're located in the central to north area of Gwinnett County, which is a big suburban Overflow County um, on the northeast side of Atlanta. So when you think Atlanta and Campbell, um, you don't know me that well, but I call a lot of college games, and I feel like both on the men's and women's side, it's hard to find a roster that doesn't include a player from Georgia, and usually most notably the Atlanta area. That has always been a hotbed for youth soccer. Yeah, I've been in, fortunate to be in that area for a long time, probably close to 25 years. And the game has always been strong on the boys' level to start with, obviously. And now the introduction of, you know, with girls, it's just such a hotbed of soccer that the kids are playing a competitive area so young that the development, because of the competitiveness of the clubs, has always been where you start to see these players coming through 12 to 13 years old. And then the competitiveness era, arena of what we play in, their elevation is really quick. So they sort of get become popular within the mainstream soccer environment at a very young age. So like a 14-year-old kid who's already starting to show promise just by word of mouth will start to get a lot of exposure by just being known as the best or the strongest. Uh, before we get to know you a little bit better, <coughs> who are some famous alumni soccer players that have come out of GSA? Walker Zimmerman would be our number one. Nice. I remember watching Walker play. He was seven years old like a little Tasmanian devil running around a recreational game. I went over to spoke to his mum, Becky. I said, you know, is this your kid? She goes, oh yeah. I said, he's got talent. And she's like, well, he, he's a baseball player. 
His dad played baseball at Alabama or some big college. And soccer's not his number one sport. And I said, well, can you get him a chance to play with my team? Let's see how he works out. And within two years, he'd given up baseball to be full-time soccer. And still, he's got a good chance of making another World Cup team. I would. He does. He yeah. does. We've had some Ella Stevens, who's currently in the um, NWSL. One time, actually, three girls playing in the World Cup at the same time. Okay. We had Alexa Barr was playing for Honduras. Jennifer Westendorf was playing for Brazil. And Ella was playing for the youth's 20s, trying to qualify for the World Cup. Incredible. Yeah. All right, we're here with Campbell Chapman, who is the GSA ECNL director. You're here at the ECNL Coaching Symposium, arguably the best list of speakers and presenters we've ever had. What are some of the key takeaways for you from this event? I think it shows now that the value to these events is to show us all as directors, even people with experience in the game, we've been in the game a long time, that we can still learn. There's something that we need to learn, whether it's medical, whether it's psychological, whether it's I wouldn't say technical because, you know, obviously we're not watching kids play. It's not like we're watching coaching sessions, but it's information that we take back to our membership. Whether it's a small piece or a big piece of what we can add to our program, we're all going to take something out of this weekend or this few days here that can help our programs grow in whatever that is. Whether it's technology in the sense of heart monitors or the importance of warming up kids, whatever that is, there's something we can take away from this. And, and, and every year, Christian and, and the board, they do a fantastic job of somehow making it better. Who was your favorite presenter and why? I've got to be honest, being a soccer person all my life, I really enjoy listening to people from outside another sport. So I thought Drew Brees was quality. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed talking to him as well. Yeah, uh, Yeah, you can tell he's a fantastic human being. Well, so. you're just listening to somebody who's been played at the highest level, is respected for more than just being a, an athlete. He's proven himself as a good person and people want to be around him. And when you hear him talk, you can see why and how he was successful because it wasn't just luck. It wasn't being at the right place at the right time. He's had to work extremely hard and come through adversity. And, and more importantly, there's always a point where you get challenged and tested to pass to go to the next level. And when people thought he wasn't going to be there to do it, he proved them wrong again. Paint a picture for me of the GSA. How many ECNL teams do you have? Do you have some teams playing in other leagues as well? Like, give me the structure of what you got. So we're about 4,000 kids, 50-50, probably 2,000 rec, 2,000 select. Our elite program is the ECNL. We were one of the founders of joining the league when they formed the conferences. We were one of the first in. So we, you know, we had the battle with the DA when it was, you know, US soccer came in and said, this is what we're gonna do. I was on the board then with Christian and Doug and, and Jay Howe and, and the battles were at times pretty stressful because it was about your league, your membership. So we've stuck true to the ECNL and obviously the addition of the boys was a huge part of what we needed for our boys program. We do the ECNL Regional League, which is, I think, to us as a member, you know, people always think, oh, you're, you only care about your top club, your top teams and your top players. But as you, when you run a club, you realize that that is your foundation. The teams who, the second place teams and the third level teams and the fourth and the fifth, because that's your local membership. Those are the people that live within your Kachner area. Our elite teams, our ECNL teams, were, were um, a destination club. People would drive past other clubs to come play for us or play for a specific coach or play for me. But the foundation of what our club is, is we're a Gwinnett County club. And, and we have, I would say, most of our membership was in the county. So Eastern Oregon League for our tech second teams. We have a league that we form within clubs of the Alliance called the SCCR, which is like the Champions League. And that's where our third level, fourth level and all the other teams play within. And then we have an academy program like everybody else. And we have two locations, a north and a south, boys and girls. For some reason, boys just double the number of girls. I think it's a continuation of across the country. I don't think it's anything new that, you know, you just, you'll have six boys teams in an age group and three girls or whatever that is. And we have diversity. We're a multi-diverse club from kids from all over the world. Immigrants who've come in from different areas, not just, you know, people think of Hispanic and, but we have kids from Africa, from Bosnia, from Europe, you know, people who've, who've made the decision to live. And Gwinnett County is a county that has a lot of diversity within it. And we provide a platform for those kids to play soccer at all levels. Any age group, what has been like a pinnacle national championship for GSA? <laughs> well, uh, we were very fortunate in 2019 to win the U15 girls. Our coach Judson Hamby, the stars were aligned for us, let's put it like that. It was just one of those things where we were in San Diego. It was a great day. There's two games going on. 
we're in, we're out, we're in, we're out. We tied it up late, we were in. And the next day we got a, a nemesis of our CISA, which is our local competitor in South Carolina. We beat them 3-0 and we went into nationals. And then it was a four-team format, semi-final, final. We drew MVLA, who were the, arguably the best team. But our team on that weekend were the best team and we won it with our under-15 girls. You're hearing the voice of Campbell Chapman, who is the GSA ECNL director and one of the originals, as he just so eloquently explained, which is pretty awesome. So, I mean, I got to believe from, and you kind of touched on a little bit, but uh, I feel like repetition is information. But knowing that you were there in the early days, uh, you know, with Jay and in in the whole crew and then seeing where we are like today, does this blow your mind? It did yesterday. We're doing the AGM, and, and I was standing, I can't remember, I was sitting next to him, might have been uh, the Portuguese. They've come over to go to the symposium and, and, and learn and, and integrate and, and network. And I, and it was, you know, I said, the originally AGM, we were going to fit in one of the other rooms. We didn't need that big room because it was directors, 40 clubs, 50 clubs, whatever that number was. And now you see it across the board. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic because I think... The ECNL now is a brand that people identify as soccer, but it's a recognized brand now that it's a quality program. And I think that's the key that we try to do within our own club is that when you look at ECNL, when they say ECNL, you don't want to come across as you're elite, but the players feel special because they're wearing the, the brand. You know, and I think that's a very important part of what you do as a soccer coach is you're always trying to tell your players there's a purpose behind, you know, why do we come to practice? Why, why do we wear the same gear to warm up in? Why is it important that, you know, we, that we look the same? And I think that's a very important part of, you know, uh, Drew Brees said earlier about players, young players being a part of something in sports, feeling taken ownership of it. And I think that's what the ECNL has done really well is they've said, we'll provide the brand, but it's yours. And you wear the gear like, you know, like you're wearing now, something that you would have said, OK, you know, what does this brand stand for? Well, it's becoming now that people see the brand and they don't have to say, you know, that's, mm. they, they recognize the sign. And I think that's the quality program that Christian and, and the board have put forth is, is fantastic. We're here with Campbell Chapman, the GSA ECNL director. We'll take a break and be back with more Campbell Chapman. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the National championship winning ECNL girls and ECNL boys coaches of the year and the ECNL girls and ECNL boys goals of the year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, where we pick up our conversation with Campbell Chapman, the GSA ECNL director. Now, you're in the Atlanta area. We know that U.S. soccer is headed full stop. I mean, not just because there's going to be soccer fields there, but their entire headquarters are being moved there. And you explained one of the reasons was, you know, where they are is out kind of in movie land and proximity to the airport. But... I'm sure it doesn't hurt that you're there and a lot of other great clubs. So let's talk a little bit about that. And I know you don't necessarily love to talk about the competition, but what are some of the other Atlanta-based clubs that you are facing in the ECNL? You know, the one great thing that we've had over the years, even though we have a fantastic competitive environment, there's a respect with what we do as leaders because... Greg Blassingame at Concord and Iggy Malika at UFA and these guys, they're good people. And so there's a, there's a respect that we all do our jobs and we all have a staff underneath us that we pay to coach and, and provide what they do. And that when the whistle blows, it's game on. And at the end of it, we're going to shake hands and the best person as well on the day, whether we agree or not to agree, that who played well, who didn't, the game's over. But the respect is, is that we are all in it together. And the most fun part about it is, is when two teams can go at it, the parents on the far side are blasting referees and, 
and getting totally emotional, which is understandable, because think about this, it's a toxic environment, right? You're a parent and a fan of your team. You put those two things together, then there's going to be emotion. <laughs> so when at the end of the game, they see the two people who are their leaders shake hands and put their arms around each other, surely that's a good sign as a, as a parent to say, well, why are we getting so emotionally involved and being sort of an embarrassment at times to our kids? Because they are, right? They turn around, no, no kid wants to see their parent screaming and shouting at the referee or whatever. And I think as leaders, we've done a very good job of of maintaining a consistency within the framework of what we do. We don't, you'll never see us point your fingers at the end of the games. So what conference are you in and outside of the Atlanta area based teams that you just talked about, who's your top competition? So we have a great conference. We have 16 clubs within Alabama. We have Alabama FC. We have five clubs in Georgia. Concord have two. There's UFA, United Football Academy, Atlanta Fire United, GSA. And then in South Carolina, South Carolina United and CESA, all run by good quality people. Mm -hmm. And then in Florida, we have eight teams. We have some new teams that have just joined us. We have two in Orlando with Orlando City and FKK, which has got Hugh Menzies, who's a legendary coach. And then two in Jacksonville. Alan Huff has done a great job with a club called FC Prime in Fort Lauderdale. And then we have a new club called Florida West in Naples. And then two in Tampa. So there's a rivalry there with Florida Premier and Tampa Bay United, sort of like the upstarts and the tried and tested. So there's competition within, they have to do within their own cities that we have to do at a bigger scale in Atlanta. We play home or away. We play a 15 game schedule. And it's great in the sense that, um, you know, we travel down for two games and then we get to rest a weekend and then we host the following weekend. So we've got a good schedule and it's made it where every game's a cup final because you're not going to get a second chance. It's not the old emphasis, you know, well, we'll, we'll beat them next time, guys. There isn't a next time. Mm. So we kind of, as a club at GSA and my coaching staff is fantastic, we make the players understand that the importance of this game that every game's important. The result is what we can't, you know, we control our own performance and we hope to get a good result. And I think having this way that the schedule is now with our conference, the best teams that deserve to go will go. So who is Campbell Chapman? Where'd you grow up? When did you come over to the United States? Did you do college here? What did you do before GSA? Give us your story a little so, bit. So, you know, I can relate to a lot of these kids. I mean, I was um, living in uh, south of England, born in the Midlands. My dad was an ex-professional. So I was a soccer person, you know, growing up. I was too young to watch him play. So I didn't get to see him play as a professional. But I just remember being a young player, just a young person and loving the game. And playing, I never played organized soccer till I was 11 or 12. Joined a team and, and living in the South Coast near Portsmouth. Portsmouth is my home club. My dad played for Manchester United, so I've got a Premier League club and a, and a lower level club that I follow. So I came through the ranks of just being a, in a, in playing village against village. So when you live in the South of England, it's not a soccer hotbed. You know, the, in England, soccer hotbeds are where the Premier League kind of is now with London and all those clubs and Manchester and Liverpool and Leeds and, and the North. So in the South, I was between, Portsmouth is a club between Southampton and Brighton, you know, bigger clubs. So the opportunities to turn professional was always going to be difficult because you can't get the exposure. The old days, it used to be, uh, you'd be playing in a park and if a guy walked across, you know, with a flat cap on and a big coat and a dog, you're like, oh, he could be a scout for a club because they never wanted to show who they were. Whereas nowadays, we all, in everybody knows who we, who, we, who we represent. I was in school and, um, you know, got an opportunity to, to go on trials, uh, which you do. And I went to some bigger clubs, Aston Villa and, and, uh, and such. But I chose to play at a, at a lower level club thinking that the progression from going from, a, in the old days it was the fourth division, now it's League Two, was to move up. I later realized that that was the worst thing I could have done because the longevity of managers in those lower leagues is so short that the development of the younger players is not really important to them. Hmm. It is important to the people that are working in that environment, but their only concern is winning games, which is rightly so, because they're not paid to develop, they're paid to win. So they're always going to go with tried and tested experienced players, kind of like the minors. You know what I mean? Like if you had a minor league team who's in a system, you're going to develop younger players. But if you're a single franchise and competing against them, you're going to be paid to win. So you've got to have experienced players. So my career went, I was one of those journeyman soccer players that I sort of had, had you know, I would have had a tattoo which said, had 
have boots will travel. Mm -hmm. um, but I got some good breaks. I got to play with Wolverhampton Wanderers, which is a big club now, and got to play 50, 60 games in the league. But then I went and it was a journeyman. And so I played in many countries. I played in Sweden. I played in Belgium, Finland, Malta. And actually went out in Qatar and played in Qatar for a while as well, which is a very interesting. We haven't got enough time on this podcast to do those stories. But one of the times a friend of mine was like, hey, you need to go to America and see it. So I was clueless to, to what to experience. But I went over and came over with a group called uh, North American Soccer Camps, which then became Challenger Sports, who's still sure. a, you know, a, good, a good group with good people. And uh, they dropped me off. I'll never forget this. It's a true story. So we land at New, New York take us to to Newark and they bring us in the in the next day and said okay we, we're like we're basically like pigeons we're just going to fly off to, and, and do these camps and they said Campbell you're going to have three guys with you you're going to go from here to here to here to here and so they said you're going to land in Dallas and you're going to drive to Tulsa and I said how far is that and they went on the map look it's only that I'm showing an inch I said oh that's not too bad not realizing it was like six hours sure so we went out to Tulsa and we did like a circular of Tulsa, Dallas, San Antonio. And every time I went to these different cities with these respective parents, they loved the game, knew nothing about the game as far as the history and whatever, but their kids are participating. And they loved the fact that somebody like myself would come over to help them help their kids become better soccer players. And the energy enthusiasm, I was blown away. I was here for four, I think I was here for six weeks and when I left, I went straight back to Europe and was carrying on playing professionally in Malta. But I was in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, that's, that's an untapped well of, of energy. And that at some point I felt I was gonna have to go back. And I played for another two years as a professional. And then the summer come up and um, it was a contact within a contact of a friend, you know how it is. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, you, you, you wanna go back to, to America? And I said, sure, I'd love to go out. This was a longer stint and it was basically embracing the Midwest and, and everywhere. I was in Kansas City. I was in Fargo. I did a camp, <laughs> I did a camp in Bismarck, North Dakota. I wow. mean, I saw America, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it, 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 it could be a movie. Yeah. I mean, you basically, I could, write, I could write a script for it. Yeah, some of the stories you could tell and some of the stories you better not tell, right. you know? But again, the energy that the people had was just amazing. And then at the end of it, the people I was working for as a camp company, so like, listen, would you like to stay? And I said, no, but let me go home and get, and get prepared. So I came over and the, the next year, the last camp that I did was in Atlanta for GSA. And they were like, hey, listen, if you'd like to stay and we can get a visa. And at that point, it was easier than, you know, to, to get somebody in who had professional experience, an opportunity. So the longer the story is, I, I, I came over and stayed and GSA just happened to be that club. Wow. So I've been here to, I've seen the growth of, of American soccer from what it was, which was a participation sport to now a professional billion dollar entity that is, as you know, it's just getting bigger. It's, yeah. it, I, think, I think like in any sport, growth is fantastic. It's the control of, of how it grows and, and where it grows and taking, trying to take care of everybody is like spinning plates. I think that sometimes you're gonna, if you are gonna crash, but I think the, um, the growth for me has just been amazing. So I've got two kids at play. I've got Emma, who's at Georgia State, is a freshman, and she's loving it. And Luke is a 16-year-old. He plays. He doesn't play at GSA. He plays at UFA. And I'll just say this down because it might not go anywhere, but he's actually going over this Saturday uh, for a week at Wrexham, believe it or not. Oh, well, yeah. how cool is that? It's cool. And so when this goes out, it'll probably be after the event. So, it's, yeah. so we'll see. We're... Fingers crossed for him. He's been over to England a couple of times with, with Wolves and West Brom and, and has had success. So it's, it's an exciting time for him. So I'm wishing him the best. So it's fair to say the game, uh, including the ECNL, has been very, very good to you. It's been unbelievable. It's been unbelievable. You know, you look back in your life and, you know, as a professional soccer player at times, there was opportunities to, to change direction and make a move to this club. And should I sign for that club or should I stay here? But I'm very blessed to have a great wife, beautiful wife, and two kids, and living in, you know, in a lovely area in Atlanta. And um, I, I, I've said this before, if any one of these guys' jobs came open, people would swim across the Atlantic to take it. Hmm. Because it's you're just so, so fortunate to get paid to do something that you love and something you look forward to do every day. I've always said this about you know, my job and, my, and my, what I love. I love to coach my best um, strength is when, I was, when I'm on the field working with players. And I think that's something that 
again, as you know, with politics and sports and, and everybody trying to make a piece of, of something and, and trying to create a niche for themselves in sports, that at the end of the day, you know, we're all should all be coaches. We all may be doing different things now, but at some point you should always want to coach soccer. Two more questions in what has been a very enjoyable conversation with Campbell Chapman, who is the GSA ECNL director. We started to talk about it before we went on the air, but uh, and I mentioned it earlier, U.S. soccer is headed to Atlanta. That's got to be exciting for your club and all the clubs around there, no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, again, it's one of those things that, you know, when, when you look at it, Everybody thinks it's going to impact the, the, the youth community and it'll impact the game. You know, we have Atlanta United, a fantastically run MLS club whose facilities and, and the way they do things is fantastic. I think adding U.S. soccer to the, to the soccer community is great. I think it's great in the sense of that um, people will, you know, that Atlanta will become sort of the central location for, for us. How much it impacts me and the rest of the youth soccer unless we get an open invite to use the fields, which I don't think they're going to do. I think it's going to be one of these things where it's going to be known. But I think the people who are going to get to use it, obviously, will be the national teams and the national team players. So from that, you know, if you get called up, it's only a drive to the training ground, which right. would be great. And you'd be able to go home. Listen, anything that's creating more fields and more opportunities and, and then the United States can have better, if it helps and get better teams, uh, then fantastic. I find your story to be outstanding, Campbell, and I'm not surprised they put you on the list. And we'll just end with a, a question that I seem to ask everybody, no matter who they are, and that is when you hear those four letters, ECNL, what do they mean to you? Fun. Mm. It means fun. Mm. It means that we're going to be going out on the pitches. We're going to be playing soccer, that we're going to have kids who are excited to play uh, their excitement, of course, is what drives us, you know, because obviously, you know, as a as a coach, you know, you thrive off the energy of your players. And for me, the ECNL is always going to be fun because I think there's nothing fun than going out and competing with your peers, uh, whether your team is expected to win or not expected to win. There's pressure that you feel it's healthy. The players within the, uh, the on the pitch, pitch when they're playing, when they're looking around and they see the tents and they see the flags and they see the the environment that you've created, even in your own club. I'm not talking about the showcases. I'm talking about our fields. We've got our tents up for them, and the, you know we make the pitches as best we can, and and the and the environment you create. There's you want to make them feel that this is a special day. Brilliant, Campbell Chapman, the GSA ECNL director. I'm all about promoting. So the GSA website and social media and all that good stuff. Where do we find that? GSASoccer.com. Okay. Instagram, I think, is GSASoccer1. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a great job. We've got a young uh, soccer player that used to play for us. Skylar English is in charge of all our social media. She's doing a great job. She gets everything out as quick as we can. All right. Brilliant. And this interview has been brilliant. Campbell Chapman, the GSA ECNL director. Thank you so much for being a part of the ECNL podcast, Breaking the Line. Pleasure to get to know you. Thanks for being with us. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) A little giggle with Campbell to end a great show. I want to thank David Madrin from the North Carolina Courage Academy and their ECNL program, as well as Campbell Chapman, who's been around a long time and continues to do great work. I also want to thank the great people at the ECNL, including Andrea Wheeler and Ashley Willis, Ryan Bothman, and of course the big timers, Christian Labors, Doug Bracken, Jason Cutney, Ralph Richards, and the rest of the gang. Can't forget my producer, Colin Thrash, and can't forget all of you. In fact, for all of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.